God, you're amazing. And we're so grateful to get to take a moment out of our busy weeks to be still, to rest in your presence, Lord. We just ask that your spirit would be with us this morning and lead our hearts as Ron teaches this morning. God, that we will walk out of here changed, that this would be a transformative time, that our minds would be renewed, that our passion for your mission would be restored. And God, we just want to also say how grateful we are for this season of remembering your incredible love to step out of heaven and come down to earth to be among us, to lay down your life, to step into a place where you are hated because you loved us anyway. That's an incredible truth, Lord. We love you. We trust you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And as you guys welcome Ron up here, I'd like for you to remember that Ron is not a pastor. The vast majority of our teaching fellows are guys just like me and most of you guys. They're business guys in our community that are not pastors. And so when you ask somebody and you stretch them, and I did about a year ago with Ron and said, hey, how would you like to come up and teach for a few minutes? And he's like, just like most of the rest of you guys would be too. Right? Because this is kind of a nerve-wracking place, and especially if you're teaching the Bible. I mean, for a pastor, that's kind of secondary. It's, 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 it's easy. But for a business guy, that's a little bit of a stretch, and it's hard. So I want you guys to recognize that. And when you have, hopefully, everyone in this room will take the opportunity or the challenge and say, you know, I'd like to teach for 10 minutes. Because as Ron will probably attest, that it actually stretches you in a really good way. So anyways, with that, thank you so much, Ron, for all the prep and everything that you did getting ready for today. So guys, if you guys would welcome Ron Cole. Well, I do want to thank uh, David and Ryan both for uh, encouraging me to get out of my comfort zone and come up here and teach this uh, wonderful group of guys. And I do have to say my shoulder is still a little sore. It's starting to get better from all the twisting, but uh, <laughs> I am up here. Um, I did get some great coaching. Uh, David gave me some pointers, other than uh, speaking about 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> he said to, uh, to start out with, uh, with my story. And my story is a... Yeah, unlike some of you guys that have already spoken, I don't know how, how long uh, you folks have been coming, but some of these guys, their stories are just incredible. The history and, and what they've gone through, the peaks and valleys, and, and then I'm thinking, okay, my story is uh, it's boring, okay? It, it is incredibly boring, and honestly, it's the same story that I hope my kids and grandkids have, that, uh, you know, that's not one of peaks and valleys, but one of just loving God, learning about God all the way through my childhood. Um, and speaking of kids, um, I actually do uh, have the fortune of having four kids. And as of February, we're expecting our eighth grandchild. And I, I got to tell you, this I think was something Dale had hit on before, is that if, if I had known, I would have had the grandkids first. I mean, they are incredible. You know? Anyway, um, 
Let me go through my story real quick. I, like I said, I did. I grew up in the church, um, had uh, God-fearing parents, obviously, and uh, they instilled that in me. We went to church, uh, I think, like 18 times a week, something like that. It was, it was a lot. I did the uh, the Royal Rangers program. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with that. Um, it was a great program. I really loved God. Um, I loved and unfortunately idolized my pastor at the time, and then found out when I was about, I guess it was 15 or 16 that uh, he was sleeping with the other pastor's wives. And uh, that can kind of do something to your faith. And uh, unfortunately for me, it, it crushed my faith at that point. Um, and fortunately, it wasn't my faith in God, but I lost a lot of faith in organized religion and pastors in general. And it kind of forced me to be the person I am today where I like to consider myself the Berea that I like to research and not just take your word on it. Well, let me see what the Bible says about it. And let me check that. All right. Um, I want to hit on kids also. I do have, in addition to the eight grandkids uh, coming, I have the joy of having a safe family child that is in my life. It'll be five years in March that we've had this. And how many of you guys are familiar with safe families? Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. For those of you that don't know, Safe Families is a program um, that tries to keep kids out of the foster system. The foster system is, is overly clogged with hundreds and thousands of kids that are looking for placement right now. In the This, this is the tri-county area of uh, Orange, Seminole, and uh, Lake Counties. So if, if there's any interest in helping these kids out, um, the, the Bethany House who organizes it for us, their office is just on the southeast corner of the parking garage um, in Winter Garden, if you know with that area. It's a wonderful program. And like I said, we had um, a foster that we picked up in April uh, five years ago. And it was a three-day foster. And like I said, it's going on four and a half years now is how long it's worked out for us. But it's, it's been a wonderful blessing. It's been a tough story, um, but she's in a great home now. And like I said, we, uh, in fact, she's, she's sleeping at my house uh, as of last night. So it's uh, not that we're the great home, but we still get to be part of her life. That's what I meant to say. Okay. Um, as far as my own story, um, like I said, with, the, uh, with the, the sin of my pastor, and I forgot to start the timer. That means my 10 minutes starts now. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, um, what brought me finally back to the church was uh, an unfortunate situation, um, was a, a failed marriage of 23 years. Um, that kind of brought me to my knees. And uh, I realized, you know, it, it's this, this going on your own, you know, just reading the Bible isn't, isn't what was intended. And uh, I got myself back into church. And, uh, and one of the things that I initially did with getting into church is I wanted to find a men's group. And uh, at the time, uh, Mosaic didn't have a men's group. And uh, I was working with them on developing a men's group. And we were starting, we did some meetings at uh, Panera and like that. And this was probably, I guess, seven years ago, something like that. And, uh, and then I remember I heard about this Iron Man thing that we were going to do a coffee. And I thought, man, that is perfect. And I jumped on that. And I've been on that uh, bandwagon for uh, well, however long it's been going now. So I want to thank Dave wherever you disappeared to. Oh, there you are. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get on to the teaching before I run out of time. 
verse 1 of chapter 11. Oh, and by the way, I'm doing the entire chapter today. We're, we're running out of weeks quicker than we're running out of Bible. Um, so I'm going to be doing chapter 11. My dad will be doing chapter 12 next week. Verse 1, throw your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. Okay, that doesn't happen. That was the first thing I thought when I read this. It's like, Dave, what have you done to me? This does not make sense. Anyone who's ever gone fishing knows that when you throw your bread on the water, it doesn't come back. The fish eat it, or if it, the wind does blow it back, it's soggy, it's nasty, it's nothing you want. So I'm thinking to myself, good Lord, what am I going to teach? How am I going to start off with this that I know can't be true? And so I drop back to my accountant ways, my bureau ways, where I had to research and figure out what's going on here. And in my research, um, it was interesting that it turns out that the word for bread and the word for grain are often disposed or used in conjunction in the Bible. And this is apparently what they were getting at. And you got to remember, uh, Israel back in those days, like it is now, is basically a desert-like area. So if you're an agrarian-based economy, you've got to know when to plant. And this was somewhat of a parable to them that in Israel, when it rains, when it finally rains, you will end up with water in your fields. And that's the time that you've got to go out and cast your seeds or cast your grain. And this is what he's saying. Hey, you know, you've got to recognize and know when it's time to cast. All right. Now, verse 2 let me read the actual. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disasters may happen on earth. And boy, can I say amen to that. The, some of our disasters, fortunately for us, uh, come with five-day cones, so we have a little bit of time to prepare. Other disasters, uh, you might walk into, uh, like I did on a Monday morning, to a flooded office with uh, angle-deep water. Or you might find your uh, deep freeze has been turned off for three days and you didn't realize it. Or uh, possibly you, you come out and your, uh, your aquaponics tanks are empty and uh, all your fish are dead. There are things that, that happen, and they just happen in life. You know, it's, it's nothing that we can be prepared for necessarily, um, but it's something we have to accept. And one of the things that, uh, that I remember in this always is that God is in control. We're not in control. We see life through a dim mirror at best. So though all we can do is move on with it, do our best with it, and uh, make sure that we're not keeping all of our eggs in one basket. And kind of the, the other thing that I come to mind with this is uh, I'm not good with uh, memorizing verses and stuff, so I've got to look this up. It's uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. And I think about that. When, when Jesus gives the parable, the, the seed wasn't all just in one area. The seed was sown throughout. And some areas, like the rocky soil, you know, it springs up but dies off, okay? Well, you don't know what areas are going to prosper. And that brings us what I want to go into with verse 4. Um, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And what I want you to think about this is... Uh, 
if you're waiting for perfection, okay, and again, we're talking agricultural-based folks here. Um, how, how many of you know anything about hay, growing hay and harvesting hay? Okay, we've got a couple of people here. It's, it's a tough gig if you're a farmer growing hay because in order to harvest hay, you've got to cut it, you've got to rake it, you've got to put it into windrows, let it dry, and then come through with a baler. Okay, so if at any time during that period it rains, now you've got to restart the clock again. You've got to get the, gr the grass back dry. If you don't get it dry and you bale it up wet, it becomes a soggy mess that's no good to anybody. So if you're a farmer and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to cut next week because the grass will be the right height, but we've got rain projected to come, maybe I should hold off. And if you keep doing that in life, for them, you're going to end up with your, your hay is way too high, it's all full of stalks, and it's not any good. So it's just something that you've got to battle constantly between, okay, when do I sow, when do I harvest, is everything perfect? And I think what God's telling us here is you can't wait for perfection, you just got to go. You don't know what God's going to bless, but some of it he's going to bless, hopefully, in your life, and you'll be able to get your harvest. All right. Um, the other uh, an analogy on that is uh, if, if uh, again, I go back to farming. If you happen to have lowlands, some years, if you plant the lowlands, you get flooded out like they are up north, okay? But on other years, if you don't plant the lowlands and it's a dry year, you know, that's the only, the only land that might be actually fertile to you. So in saying, you know, you've got to spread things out, always make sure that, you know, you've got things covered to where something can come out good for you. All right. And uh, that takes us into verse 5 and 6. As you don't know, the way of the Spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman with child. So you don't know the work of God who makes everything. And Lordy, is that true? Um, we just do not understand. God knows what he's doing. And we sit there and try to guess and figure out. And you just, the, the quicker you learn to let go and let God, the better your life is going to be on that. All right, and I am quickly running out of time, but I'm going to get through this anyway. Um, verses 7 through 10, um, we finally transition from wet bread to our favorite thing that I knew you didn't think we could go a week without talking about, Hevel. All right, we're back to Hevel again. And uh, what is happening in, in verse 7 through 10 is we're now looking at how to live life. And I, I love this. He tells us, light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So we need to live our life and do what we want and enjoy it and not worry about anything. That doesn't sound like any of the other uh, verses that we've read or chapters we've read. And the reason why it doesn't is because it comes with a but. It comes with a very big but. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is heaven. Okay. So the days of darkness, he's talking about judgment. So live your life, enjoy your life, but remember judgment. And this is where it just blows my mind thinking about this. Is back then, this is before the cross. 
So these folks, in order to live your life and think about judgment, they had the burden of the complete Torah, all the commandments, everything that they had to try to, to live through in order to be prepared for that judgment. And I am thankful that I'm on the other side of the cross. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> so for us and for me in general, I get to live life, enjoy life, look forward to you know a group of uh, great guys in fellowship and the only thing I have to worry about is that I need to make my walk with God I need to make my walk with Jesus he's there with me and so that needs to be where my focus is not necessarily on trying to carry all the burden and keep through the law but no I've got grace I'm walking with Jesus and to me that is just an awesome way to live I'm so glad I'm on this side of the cross and with that I'm gonna let you guys jump into a bunch of questions Good morning, men. Good morning, uh, guys who are tuning in online. Hopefully, uh, you guys can hear us and see us all right. How's everyone doing today? Everyone hear me okay? Awesome. Morning, Josh. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to this morning. I would love to open us up in prayer together, and uh, then I'm going to be calling up Joe, who's going to be introducing this morning's teaching fellow. So will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for a room full of men with hearts that are hungry to, to know you more, to connect with you more, and to connect with one another. God, we just ask that this morning that you would touch us, that you would challenge us, that you would sharpen us, God, that you would make us more like Jesus. Um, and use each and every one of us in doing so at, at our table time that we have uh, after this morning's teaching. In our discussions, God, we just pray that you would be glorified and that you would use me and use other men, God, to challenge me. Uh, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Joe, will you come on up? Who do we got teaching today, Joe? You got it wrong. <laughs> morning, gents. Morning, morning, Joe. All right, I'm not going to bore you all this morning with a lot of talk. But there's a, a young man that's going to come and speak this morning that I've known for a pretty good little while now. Met him here at Iron Man. And I have grown just by being around him. Uh, and he's at, he's really one of the leaders at our table. Uh, and he's going to talk to you this morning on the possibility of, what do they call that thing? I can't even remember the name of it. And I can't hear. Anyway, um, <laughs> he's going to talk to you on some some possibilities out of the Bible that you might not believe. Okay? So this morning, let's have a big welcome for one of our table captains, Ron. Ron. 
He's got a timer, David. <laughs> I've been warned. <laughs> we have a sign just in case. <laughs> he showed me the sign. <laughs> you guys a new sign. You grew out one of them. And then the other side, <laughs> so, so my plan is to make sure when I start getting near the end, I don't make eye contact with Ryan. Just keep looking around the room. Don't, don't go near him. <laughs> uh, first off, I just want to start off by, um, by thanking David for pouring so much of himself and his time into this program. Um, I've been coming since you first opened up. Uh, with the coffees, and then I don't know if you remember, we originally had the weekly meetings was Iron Man Military, and then we grew into this, and uh, I just want to thank you again for uh, pouring so much into somebody like me who needs all the pouring in I can get, so thank you. If we can give them a round of applause, that'd be awesome. All right, um, I want to start off by talking about uh, miracles. Um, that's the subject for, uh, for this month. I'm going to be kicking it off. Jason's got next week, and then my dad is going to finish us out in the third week. Um, there are 83 miracles recorded in the Old Testament, starting with creation in Genesis 1. Um, and then uh, we go into the New Testament, and there's over 80 miracles recorded in the New Testament um, as Jesus and later his disciples healed many people and uh, not all of them are individually recorded. If you were to record all the individual, um, it would be well over that number. And the, uh, the verse I want to talk about today is John 14, 12. And those of you not familiar, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. So this uh, month's topic is miracles. Um, were they real? And I like to add, uh, do they still continue? Um, some claim that uh, Jesus' miracles were due to hypnosis, um, psychosomatic effects, and uh, Lee Strobel in this wonderful book, if you haven't gotten the chance to read it yet, this is what we're going to be covering in August, and that's what we're teaching out of today. Um, he covers uh, and he breaks down the arguments um, and how those aren't realistic arguments based on um, his miracles that he performed. Um, but the main thing that Lee points out, um, and this is a huge difference with uh, Jesus' miracles um, and uh, pretty much every other uh, magician, let's say, of the time, is that uh, Jesus' miracles didn't point to himself, but instead they pointed to things to come. Everything was always about what's coming. What is, what is he preparing for? It wasn't, hey, look at me, look at me. Okay, and that was a major difference. Now, in, uh, for my presentation, I decided rather than going into and discussing the Bible and uh, the merits of it, I would instead... Uh, tell you a little story of some of the coincidences that I've experienced in my life over the last, uh, I guess within the last decade, that I think uh, points to uh, the realities of this. And this story starts in April 2015 um, with my wife who had just rung the bell. And those of you not familiar with the ringing the bell, it's, uh, it's a glorious occasion in this uh, situation. It marked uh, the end of a one-year battle with leukemia. And it was their, her final chemotherapy session. 
And that story alone, I wish I had time to go into it, but is is full of miracles. Um, it's full of prayer and uh, a lot of angst, uh, unfortunately. Um, and it also happens to, to just show how important community is. Because in, in those moments of need, um, and that, that uh, I'll just say in that year of hell, um, if it hadn't been for my family and my church family coming and wrapping around us and being such a blessing, I really don't know how we would have gotten through it. But we did get through it. And... Uh, the, and this is what's crazy. Prior, prior to um, the leukemia, my wife and I were very active um, in a group known as Safe Families. Is anyone aware of Safe Families now? We've got one hand, a couple hands, three, four. Um, Safe Families is a, is a group um, run by Bethany House, um, and their offices are actually right south of the parking garage in Winter Garden, um, if you know where that is. Anyway, their mission is to keep kids out of foster care. And it's a short-term placement of, of kids in need so that the parents can get things squared away without going through all the, uh, the paperwork and hassles. Because once a kid's in foster care, it's, it's difficult to get them out. Okay? And so it's a great need. And if, if any of you all have any questions about it, I'd love to, uh, to talk with you um, afterwards um, about the program. It's a great program. Anyway, so... Um, uh, one Sunday after ringing the bell, um, we were in church and we got a text from Bethany House um, saying that they had a, uh, a short-term placement for a newborn and were wondering if we could step in. And we were both, uh, to say we were a little worried is, is putting it lightly. Um, you can imagine after a year of chemo, uh, your energy levels you know, aren't quite where they used to be. But for some reason, both of us just felt a tug in our heartstrings. And uh, we replied and said, you know what, we'll, we'll go ahead and do this. And then that evening, we found ourselves at the NICU um, going through courses on uh, how to deal with a premature baby um, and uh, ended up taking home a beautiful five-pound, one-month-old little girl. And that's uh, started the story. This was going to be a, a short-term placement. It was Sunday through Friday. And we thought, hey, we can handle that. You know, it's just a few days. Um, and uh, as it turned out, mom celebrated her release on Friday uh, by going on three-day bender and uh, did not show up. So by Friday afternoon, we realized that uh, we might have gotten in a little deeper than we expected. But uh, my wife, uh, who is a, an unbelievable prayer warrior, I believe, um, had, had already prayed a hedge of protection um, from the Lord around this, this, uh, this child. And so we ended up keeping her longer. The, um, the, after the mom's decision to not show up, uh, the state's attorney who happened to be an alternative lifestyle uh, liver, uh, decided that she wanted to, to place uh, the little girl that uh, my wife had named Hope, um, only because you can't use the real names in uh, social media and like that. So my wife decided to call her Hope just as a pseudonym for us. Anyway, she decided that uh, she wanted to place her with a distant family member uh, that was a cousin through marriage and, and by law. Um, and uh, who was also an alternative family, or alternative lifestyle family. And uh, they were coming uh, actually to get her at the end of the, that week on a Friday. And uh, 
my wife was in uh, a lot of prayer about it. Um, and uh, as it turned out, on Friday, uh, when as we were driving to drop her off, the uh, the the cousin had moved from D.C. to N.C. and failed to inform D.C.F. about the change. And if any of you know anything about fostering like that, they have to do full home studies and test everything out, check everything out before they place the child. Well, to them, this was a major breach, um, and they they pulled the plug at the last second and asked us to keep the baby again. So, I don't I don't know if that was a miracle, but uh, we sure kind of see it that way. Oh man, I'm already running out of time. <laughs> Don't look at Ryan. All right. Um, anyway, uh, because of this, DCF decided that uh, they needed to place her in a full foster home. The reason being, it, it has to do with termination of parent rights. Um, they have to be in foster care in order for um, the state to start working on that. Um, my uh, wife immediately contacted um, a friend of ours from church who was the uh, the kids ministry leader um, to see if he would be willing to foster because we knew they were they were full-time fosters um, and if he would step in and foster the baby and then we would work with him in order to keep her in a, a good Christian family and and so that we could continue to pour into her and what is amazing is this foster family um, they, not only did they step up, I've got to give you the detail on this. They had one rule in their family, it was no babies. They would foster anyone toddler and above, but they didn't want to have to deal with all the diapers and getting up for the three o'clock feedings and that kind of stuff. So that was their rule number one. And the second thing that just happened to them is they had had a two-year foster that they were in the middle of adopting that they had the rug pulled out from under them at the last minute. And this had happened about a month prior. And so the idea of them stepping into another foster was uh, something they had to do a lot of discussion on. And as it turns out, uh, they agreed to go ahead and foster. And the other challenge on this was that part of the reason they were DCF was doing this is mom had disappeared on them. Um, and they were not able to get in, in contact with her. And in order for us to do this direct placement, we had to get in touch with mom. So my wife, being the, again, the prayer warrior that she is, she went to everything on all the contacts that she had. She went through her Facebook, contacted everybody that she had through that, saying, please get a hold of me, please get a hold of me. We are literally at the DCF parking lot with them getting ready to take hope from us. And my wife got a call from the mom and said, no, please place her with this other family and stopped that movement again. It was just unbelievable. All these things, you know, after months of being gone, she steps in. Well, anyway, this, the, the, the roller coaster was just unbelievable that we, that we had been, been on. So we come, I'm going to wrap this up as quick as I can. I'm sorry, guys, I'm going over. But um, the day came for the, uh, for the courthouse hearing. Um, and again, the state's attorney was still pushing. It had been two years now um, to have her placed with this alternative lifestyle family. And uh, the, uh, we get to the courthouse, and there was one judge that had been presiding over the case with us who was uh, friends with the state's attorney, and it basically let us know this was, this was a fait accompli, this was going to happen. So we get to the courthouse, they call our case, and we walk in, and there's a new judge there. And we're like, 
who's this person? And the foster families turned to us and said, you're not going to believe this. This is the guy that was praying at the Christmas party two weeks ago for the foster families. Well, what happened was the judge had got promoted, the one that was the uh, pro state's attorney, and this new judge was presiding. So we're, we're excited thinking, wow, something's happening here. And the state's attorney starts talking with the same talk about, hey, this is a placement with a family member. This is per the the Florida guidelines. And the judge stops her and goes, well, are you familiar with the the guidelines regarding long-term foster and the importance of keeping that bond in place? And she starts fumbling through her books and is like, no, I'm not aware of this. And he says, well, I helped write that law just a few months ago. So needless to say, the entire story changed like that. I'm going to go ahead and end it now at 12 minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'll do some push-ups for you. That's not a fair. <laughs> anyway, I've made some, um, some questions for you folks to go through. And uh, the, the point that I wanted to make is, you know, are, are these miracles for sure? I don't know. But... It sure seemed like it was to me. And if you're wondering, Hope is now six years old and uh, a great little girl in a loving home. And uh, we get to see her as her godparents um, at least a couple times a week. So that's the story. (laughs) 